0: You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Taneya and Priya. Welcome to the Girls on the Grid podcast. My name is Tanea and I am joined by my co-host Priya.
1: Hi guys.
0: And today is our very first episode. And like, not gonna lie, we are both so excited. Like, I didn't sleep that much last night, so I was so excited to be able to finally do this.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited. It's been... A long time in the making. I'm a little bit nervous, but we're mostly feeling really good. But um, it's, oh, when, did, when did this come about? It would have been Sydney.
0: Before Sydney's at the back of 2021, we were in the car and we were with uh, Heath and Grant. And Grant is the host of the Parked Up podcast. And he's also uh, who Priya and I work for. Would you say he's our producer? He's, he's our producer yeah. and kind of showrunner mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, And we were speaking to him and he just like spitballed this idea of an all-girls podcast because Parked Up is something that he loves to do and he wanted to expand the podcast that ran under the network Arbena and then the Girls on the Grid podcast come about and there's two other podcasts in the making too and it's just been a huge work in progress but we're here, we're talking. It's happening. We're both on camera. We have an Instagram page. It's just... It's real and it's so exciting.
1: And the support so far has been amazing. I honestly probably didn't expect it, but it makes me realise that maybe this is something that was needed. We need a, a podcast to recognize the girls. So one
0: hundred percent. Yeah. I'm a little bit blown away, to be honest, like by the reception already. And like even me and you text each other, we're like, Oh my God, someone followed us. Oh my god, someone someone commented. I know and just yeah it's only been we've only we only launched it about three or four days ago so it's really quite insane and honestly I'm just excited to be here me too
1: and it's happened really fast like last week we were like oh yeah maybe we should try film an episode next week and then next thing we know it's like oh hang on we've got someone lined up we're ready to go let's go
0: and we actually have to do this we've locked in a time with one of the biggest women's names in motorsport and she's gonna come and join us later in this episode But before we dive into the guest chat today, so this is our first episode, we wanted to kind of set the scene of who we are, what we're aiming to do, before we jump into the chat. So Priya, a lot of people know your last name. They know your granddad, Jim Richards. They know your father, Stephen Richards. But they probably don't know Priya Richards all that well, so why don't you give us a bit of a background of the pre Richard story so far.
1: So, I obviously was born into the sport. Um, my family were involved in motorsport a long time before I came around. Um, I think my first event, I was like a month old and I was on the plane going to Indy. I'm pretty sure. So, that was my first event. But when I was younger, as cool as it was, as cool as it seemed... You know being in a motorsport family and everything my parents basically had to drag me to a racetrack it was just like leave me alone i'll go okay cool i'll watch dad i'll watch dad race but just let me go home and play with my horses like that was my thing real horsepower i loved horses that was mine so i, I did enjoy the racing to an extent you know i'd go and i'd watch like maybe the first few laps and i'd be like okay cool Dad's doing all right. Now it's just cars going around in circles, whatever. And I'd go off and do my own thing. But then I think when I was about 10 in 2011, my family started our own Porsche team for Porsche Carrera Cup. And so it was good because me and my brother, we could be a lot more involved. You know, although we were young, it was like we could like run a rag over the car. We could clean some tires and it was just more fun in that way because we were more hands on. Um, which was great. And then I really started to enjoy it. And then I kind of really got into more of like the behind the scenes side of it. Even just having like the customers there and the sponsors. Like I just enjoyed talking to people. Like for as long as I can remember, I've always been into cameras, photography, filming. Like I loved it. So of course when we were always racing every weekend I kind of took that as an opportunity to be creative and I would just start making videos of the race weekends and like just little weekend wraps and then eventually like I'd make full-blown like documentaries um especially when we went to the Bathurst 12 hour or when we went to Bathurst in general and yeah I just loved it and I think when I got into my teen years it got to a point where I was like okay I think I want to work in motorsport and I'd love to implement like filming and cameras and photography and everything as well Um, but one thing for me was I would always notice there were these boys that were walking around with like these huge cameras on their shoulders or like they'd have these really like fancy cameras with monitors and rigs and I was really intimidated and I think it it may have freaked me out a bit because it was like the boy thing like I didn't know how to approach it because these boys looked so scary with like their huge cameras like they looked so fancy and I was just like this little girl with a DSLR and like my 18 to 55 millimeter lens, like just very basic. Anyway, then one day I think I was about 16 and it was Bathurst. I see a chick in the mix and I'm like, no way. Like this is, this is awesome because that's exactly what I want to do. And so I did my, I did a bit of stalking on the socials and I discovered Tanea and I I think we found the messages, didn't we?
0: Yeah, I went, I went through and scrolled back to like twenty eight. Like, hey, are you at Bathurst?
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, so yeah, I messaged tonight. I knew you were at Bathurst. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, you just needed to slide in my DM somehow. Being exactly. Creepy.
1: I was totally sliding in. So yeah, I sent Tanaya a message and basically said, whatever it is you're doing, I want to be there. I'm going to follow you around. I want you to teach me everything, I like everything you know and the rest is history and Tanera and I became really close and she basically just took me under her wing and I ended up working for her and then in 2020, at the start of 2020, I started Impulsion Media so my own little videography business and um, yeah I've just been kind of chipping away ever since and now I get to do this as a job so it's all worked out really well. <laughs>
0: been it's been a crazy journey for you i remember that message i was like who's this and i was like hang on richards
1: Richards. oh god
0: (laughs) i better i better pay attention to this
1: you didn't care about me until you saw my last name
0: (laughs) hang on on. i grew up as a mark winterbottom fan yeah so like 2013 bathurst like i knew i knew i was i was big i was big 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 fan girl and then just be like priya in my dms and be like look can we be friends is pretty much what you said
1: I wanted to beat you.
0: Yeah, and then we hung out. We rode our bikes around the Bathurst.
1: I remember that. It was like nighttime. Oh, that was fun.
0: And I remember this significantly because you must have knew that I was major fangirl because you're like, look, we can't go to my caravan because Craig's there.
1: For a start, I remember because I, I rode out of the track with you and then the security guards wouldn't let me back in because I didn't have my pass. And I was trying to be like, well, you know, my, my dad, I didn't want to like, I was trying to be humble, you know. Like,
0: (laughs) you were staying in, like, behind the pits.
1: Yeah, yeah, in the caravan. You got locked
0: out. Like, it's like four knocks to try and get into the pits. Yeah,
1: yeah. But it took them a bit of convincing. But no, it was fun because I just drove around, rode around on the bikes with you and talked about cameras and race cars. And yeah, it was awesome. For you, Tanea, you know, you didn't have much of a motorsport background. You had more of a motocross background. Two wheels instead of four. Yeah, exactly. So. How did you get into four wheels, basically?
0: Yeah, so from four to 18, my life revolved around two wheels, motocross. Uh, my brother raced and then when I was four, pretty much I was three and a half and I got a pw 50 for Christmas, uh, jumped on a bike and I was pretty much so far gone from there. And the next 14 years of my life was just just revolved around traveling on weekends to various motocross tracks around australia
1: so you were very competitive
0: yeah well i wasn't when i was young but like definitely worked up to it like uh, i think did australian titles on a 65 so that's like seven or eight and then like actually started to sort of make a name for myself as a, a, a chick because they had girl class and stuff and like did australian state titles australian titles all that sort of stuff had a little bit too many injuries to really uh do anything too serious
1: that's always the excuse
0: oh, or, uh, maybe I just suck and I use that as an excuse but it came to the point where I was like I can chase this professionally or I can sell my bike and buy a camera because by that point I was I was making videos every day like I had decided that video was what I wanted to do but I was just torn with this sport that I was so passionate about and I had to find a way that I could take the passion that I had from riding and still maintain it but not race because if I was on the bike, I couldn't film bikes, you know? In year nine at high school, my maths teacher took our class to the Gold Coast 600 for a school excursion. And pretty much from there, I fell in love. Like, I was gone. I was like, prior to that, like, I'd watch Bathurst. And I didn't have a whole lot to do with it outside of the Bathurst where you put it on, you watch it. But then when I went to the event and I saw, I felt the atmosphere and I felt how incredible the events and, and how it feels to be around cars and just kind of the glitz and the glamour and the spectacle of the whole show. I was just like, this is this is the dream, you know, this is what I want. And then you don't see any chicks or you see very few girls in comparison to how many men you see. And you're like, wow, is this possible? You know, can is there a way that I can get into this and do this? Like, I did not want a cent. I was like, I don't want to be paid. I'll do this for the rest of my life. I assumed I was just going to live at home with mum and dad for the rest of my life and not make any money, obviously, because I was willing to do this for free just because I loved it that much.
1: It's the love for it, isn't it? 100%. And that's what's most important, really.
0: But now
1: that I think of it, you were really probably, you were probably the first female videographer, like content creator for the social media side in the game.
0: There had been a couple before me. They'd all gone overseas. and Yeah.
1: See, I just never saw that. I, I never...
0: Yeah. I When I landed on the scene, like, I was the only chick in the media centre. And usually, other than you and other than a couple of the media managers for the teams, we still are the only girls. Yeah. My path to get to where I am now was through a volunteering. So I volunteered as a pit lane official, like, one of the people that blow the whistles along pit lane to signify that cars are coming through. For about three, four years, I did over 500 hours standing on the side of pit lane blowing a whistle. Like that is just how much I love cars. Then when I moved to Melbourne at 18, I landed an opportunity at Winton with Supercars Media as a production runner. So like this involved like taking call sheets to producers, taking lunch to commentators, ironing t-shirts, like doing the stuff that no one else wanted to do. But I was just so stoked to be there. Like I would have cleaned up dog shit if they asked me to. Like I was just so stoked to be there. And then I just networked my butt off, met as many people as I could, introduced myself to as many people as I could. And in 2018, I landed a job as a videographer with GRM and then travelled the entire calendar, met you at Bathurst. And mm-hmm. and you
1: were doing uni full-time as well.
0: Yeah, I was full-time at uni. So it was, it was a grind for sure. Like sometimes I'd fly in from Perth. Or something, or like Darwin, or something, at like three a.m. in the morning, and then front up to a nine a.m. lecture on the Monday. Like it was, it was a lot, and had a couple of uni lecturers like threatened to fail me because I wouldn't be there for an assignment because it was a Thursday or a Friday and I was off somewhere. And I said to him, "I was like, look, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do when I come into this uni degree. So if you want to fail me, go for it. But I'm gonna do whatever I can to chase this dream." And then if uni is the backup plan, it's the backup plan. Thankfully, haven't needed the backup plan and everything is flying right now. It's it's, good. it's very exciting. And no,
1: you're killing it. It's
0: honestly just a dream that we get to do what we do for a living. We get to travel. We get paid to travel. We get to go around to all the states and territories and hopefully soon internationally to work and to film race cars. And it's, yeah, it's honestly just a dream. It's It's the best.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've done our fair share of talking about ourselves, but we do have a special little shout out.
0: Yes. So actually a really special message we got on Instagram uh, earlier this week from Daz and Daz messaged us to let us know that his four-year-old niece, Lauren, is an absolute rev head and loves anything that moves. And me and Priya can definitely relate to that. So we wanted to just say hi to Lauren. Hey, Lauren. We hope that you're listening in, Lauren. We hope that you love this podcast. And yeah, we can't wait to bring you some amazing chats with some incredible people.
1: So something that we are wanting to do at the start of each episode is give a few shout outs to some girls in the game. Um, And that's whether you compete, whether you work in the industry. If you want to work in the industry, just send us a message on the socials and we'll give you a shout out. But without further ado... I think it might be time to introduce our first ever Girls on the Greed guest. So we are super lucky today to be talking with probably one of the most prestigious women of motorsport in Australia. She's had a lot of success in many of the career paths that she has taken. And we couldn't be more excited to be introducing the one, the only...
0: Drum roll, please. <laughs>
1: Jess Dane. So we're very excited to be introducing our first ever Girls on the Grid guest, Jess Dane hello
2: um thank you for having me i feel very honored to be the first guest it's really exciting love what you guys are doing how have you been how's the break been with no racing how's the break been good question what break um we yeah we've had a break from racing technically from um, from supercars and gt and everything else that we do here at triple eight race engineering but um, yeah, we have we have a shutdown every year over Christmas, as all the teams do, um, and as most businesses or a lot of businesses in Australia do. Um, and for those of us who've who've been on race team, it's supposedly three weeks. But um, yeah, kind of kept um, you, you have to keep on top of stuff because particularly in our department and for those people who work directly on race cars it's it's a great time to have a break and wonderful time to spend time with family and things but for any of us who kind of gear up for that particularly this crazy pre-season that we have um it's a really busy time um and throw in a law degree to that as well i was i've been doing two, two units over summer just to try and get through this last grind um yeah didn't really had a few days out um on motorbikes of various forms but apart from that I didn't really feel like I had much of a break and it's already February how
1: has this happened (laughs) would you usually go back home to the UK over the break
2: yeah, so before COVID, I would go back um, to the UK. COVID's put a stop to that. So, um, yeah, I would usually go back to the UK over Christmas and New Year each year. But, um, yeah, I left the UK on Boxing Day 2019, and I have not been back since. Um, hasn't been a terrible thing spending a couple of Christmases. I, I had a fabulous Christmas here. Um, one of my best friends from home lives in Sydney, so she and her housemate were road tripping, and I spent... Um, Christmas Eve to Boxing Day with them which was fabulous to be able to spend some time with one of my oldest friends um in a different part of the world um yes. but otherwise yeah haven't haven't been back for a while but have some flights booked for June and hopefully see my family.
0: All right Jess so Priya and I have researched you within probably an inch of your life we probably know more about you than you do. <laughs> what time was I born guys? Priya? <laughs> All right, so let's get into the real nitty-gritty of this. Okay, so Jessanne, you are one of the most influential women in Australian motorsport, in worldwide motorsport, whatever you want to say. Both Priya and I have drawn a lot of inspiration from you and what you do, so it's really cool to have you on here and to be chatting with you. But we wanted to go back to a little bit of how you started. Triple Eight, race engineering has been a big part of your life for a very long time. And you're very involved at 888, obviously more so now, but we'll, we'll get into that. There's a lot of different roles that you've held over the years. You actually started as a mechanic in sub-assembly through to media, to PR, to now team owner, essentially. Can you believe that it's come this far? And what's been sort of your favourite highlights throughout the journey? Well, um, yeah, so it's been a long
2: journey to give people um, some background. So obviously my my father's Roland Dane, he started Triple Eight Race Engineering in the UK in the mid-90s, so grew up with the British Touring Car Championship and going to those tracks. Um, kind of lost touch with it when my dad moved over here in the early 2000s, um, and then came back involved with Triple Eight in 2007. Um and then had my first job here in 2008 when I was 18, um, working as a sub-assembly mechanic, and yeah, have worked my way through various departments since then. In 2015, I came in as um, came in as a shareholder for the first time, or not, for the, you know, the only time, but <laughs> came in as a shareholder, and um, have gradually increased my shareholding over the years um, to the point now where. Um, Jamie Wincup and I and, and Tony Quinn are the three shareholders. My father's no longer part of the shareholding group, although he still wanders through the office holding a can of Red Bull um, every couple of days just to check that <laughs> just check that Jamie and I aren't going rogue. Um, but yeah, they've it's can I believe it? I don't I don't know. I'm not one f- I'm not one for kind of setting far distant goals like if somebody says oh where do you see yourself in five years or something like I don't know my, my goal for the last three years has been to get a law degree and now that's going to happen hopefully in June or going to plan I'm like well I don't know what my goal is after that like I don't, I'm not one for kind of imagining what my life might be in however many months or years time um, so i yeah I'm not not entirely sure how to answer that side of it but highlights are the like I I live and breathe racing it's just my favorite thing being at racetracks is is incredible so you've obviously got to think about the highs you know I was there on the wall for the Bathurst 3 Pete in 2008 um, the 2017 championship at Newcastle like that's the kind of stuff that that you can't script um, but even some some of the highs are actually the lows like when we've bounced back from really hard times when we've been up against it some of the highest times have been being part of such an incredible group of people who've been able to get on top of all of the challenges we've been facing and come over the other side of them and it, it's difficult because the challenges that we face aren't you know you you see the race results publicized but nobody ever knows what's going on behind the scenes nobody knows that you know we might still be getting podiums and stuff but there's a whole heap of stuff going on behind the scenes that we keep as a a team and as a business very private and um yeah there's there's always you you never know the true depth of someone's story unless you're deeply involved in it and it's exactly the same for a motorsport team or or any business Um, there's so much more going on behind the scenes um, but other highlight, even for me, because I love what I do so much, even for me, that stint last year, going to Sydney Motorsport Park, um, being in New South Wales and away from home for two months. Um, I actually stayed a bit longer in, in Sydney to do, to keep doing some work. Um, so I was away for two months and yeah, it was, it was really tough on the people who have families and things here and, you know, missing kids' birthdays and graduations and important milestones. It was so hard on them. But for me, that whole stint was a huge highlight of my entire time with Triple Eight. One, because I just love being at racetracks and it just makes me happy. <laughs> um, and two, because of the strength that the team showed, the the complete, the total camaraderie and how much we had each other's backs and looked after each other and such a feeling of team spirit that really got us through what on paper was a really tough time. And the Melbourne teams went through that the year before. They would have gone through some really hard times keeping everything together over the hundred and something days that they were on the road and away from home. Um, and I guess last year it was the Queensland team's opportunity to go through something similar. But can, although on, on paper it probably doesn't look like a much of a highlight because it was so hard on so many people, it definitely was a highlight when you look at how the team managed the whole thing. And I think that's what like a lot of people don't see. They don't see the kind of behind
0: the scenes. The whole motorsport community is just a family. Like I, in 2020, I was like, when COVID hit, I was like, nah, I'm done, I don't need motorsport. Like I'll build my business elsewhere. Twenty twenty one oh, early. That. <laughs> well, 2021 early, Grant was like, come work for me. And I was like, okay, but look, I'm done with motorsport. Like I don't need mm-hmm. it. I'm just like, I'm thriving without it. Then I realized I didn't have a social life because all of my friends are it motorsport is your social
1: people. life. It is. They're, they're my it
0: people. So when I stopped hanging out with them, I was like, why am I home every Saturday night? Oh, wait, cause <laughs> they're all racing and I'm not. <laughs> all my friends are at racetracks and I'm not there because I'm too cool for motorsport. And that died very quickly. And now I spend, now I'm back, mm-hmm. to, back to the good times. Somebody said to me the other day, they were like, Oh,
2: you're, you're so lucky to like, it was not involved in motorsport at all. Doesn't know anything about it. Like English person. Um, and this person was was saying oh you know you you have no idea how lucky you are to um you know to be able to do what you do and have such a cool job and I'm like it looks cool on the surface because yeah like motorsport seems glamorous and stuff but one you have no idea how bloody hard it is but two I god I know how lucky I am like I've I've done my fair share of jobs over my years of, of working and where you don't feel like going to work every day you don't look forward to it you fake a sickie because you really don't want to be there um but that i feel so so lucky to have something that i love as much as i love motorsport and for that to be able to be my reason to get up in the mornings what's that really like that old saying where it's like if you're doing what you love you never work a day in your life Like <laughs> so cringy but it's so true
1: <laughs> so just Jess- Like me, you grew up in a motorsport environment. Your dad started Triple Eight. Were you like me in the sense where you had to be dragged to the racetrack? Or were you like, oh, okay, this is cool. We're going racing.
2: It was probably more, I mean, I I went through a period, probably the age where... I felt like I would have been being dragged was the age where I wasn't really involved in it. Like my dad lived over here. Um, you know, followed it from afar, but wasn't particularly in touch with motorsport during those years. I do remember once, um, there was a show. I grew up riding horses again, like you Priya. Um, um, I grew up riding horses and I do remember there was one weekend where, um, my dad, took me and my sister to Ireland for a BTCC race and there was a show jumping festival on the same weekend. <laughs> I was like, I so badly wanted to be competing. I was so cross that we were going um, yeah. going to a racetrack instead of going show jumping. But then, uh, yeah, that that's my only memory of being annoyed about being at a racetrack because I, d- I wanted to be competing instead. But otherwise, no, I mean, I... As soon as I got, my first supercars race was Bahrain in 2007 and I was just, I just loved it. It made me so happy. And that was the moment where I was like, I need to, I need to get more of this. This is me. <laughs> so it was Bahrain. Was that
1: kind of the moment that you realized that you wanted to have a career in motorsport
2: no it wasn't to be honest um it was I was like 16 at the time so um yeah 16 17 um so yeah no I wasn't thinking of careers I probably still thought that I was going to win an Oscar one day at that point it wasn't it wasn't like a light bulb moment I just came away from it going oh my god I love that experience it was so much fun and then from there um, I knew I wanted to come over to Australia and my dad, uh, for like during my gap year and my dad was like, oh, I'm going to take you down. And he thought that I was this cocky teenager and, um, you know, need, needed bringing down a peg or two. So he's like, I'm going to put you in sub assembly. That'll teach you a few lessons. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. That's what I wanted to do anyway. I wanted to be a, you know, I wanted to train as a mechanic and I wanted to do all of that. Um, but it wasn't until I can remember the exact moment I was, it was in, like, November 2011. I was in my last year of uni. I had just stayed up for the whole of Bathurst. No, sorry, 2000 and- No, it was 2011. i just stayed up for Bathurst, done an all-nighter, watching Bathurst, only for us to come second, and then driven straight to Silverstone the next day for the British F3 finale. And I was sitting in the grandstand thinking, oh, my God, I'm so tired. I need my 12th Red Bull of the day, um watching cars go around in circles in the rain and I was like I really like this but why am I doing it in the cold and the wet when I could be doing it in England sorry in Australia and that was my moment of like I I left the track and I either text or called my dad and was like we need to sort my visa I need to come back to Australia that's what I want to do i didn't know what i wanted to do but i knew that that was where i wanted to be and what to be honest i still don't know what i want to do (laughs) my 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 role at triple eight is so so varied and that's probably one of the reasons that i love it um because like just today i mean what is it i started talking to you guys at 11 a.m and already this morning i've written an employment contract um i have written about three policies for our new handbook and i have designed one um i've designed two gt drive race suits so it's quite varied like do you want a contract or do you want a race suit i could do both but yeah i mean the the fact that my role is so varied is just fabulous but um yeah, God knows what I actually want. If I could be an engineer, I'd love to be an engineer. And I keep joking that before I know it, that's going to be my next degree. Once I finish my law degree, I'm going to be like, hmm, what should I do next? maybe I should be an engineer, but then I'll probably have to go back to school and actually learn how to do maths. Just going back a little bit, what was,
1: like, why triple eight? Like, why, like, why did RD kind of,
2: how did he come up with, that kind of name. Is there a significance behind the number? Um, So eight, he's done a lot of business in Asia over the years and eight is very lucky number in Asia and eight is also, um, so what's luckier than one eight is three eights and um, eight is also continuous like a racetrack. Um, Also when he started Triple Eight Race Engineering there were a few shareholders and um, like maybe three or four people who were very first the shareholders in the UK. And they knew that as soon as you put your name on something, it becomes that bit harder to sell. Um, like, you can't people... You, brand changes are hard. And, you know, we, we see it in supercars. We've got um, Kelly Brothers Racing then became... Um, or Kelly Racing then became Kelly Grove Racing. And now it's Grove Racing. You know, it's, it's a few years of transition. So it, it's just that bit more... Um, marketable and sellable if it hasn't got someone's name on it if if the person is famous then that's a different matter you know plenty of there are plenty of drivers who put their names on teams and things um but you know my my dad wasn't famous
0: he was just a used car salesman who had a good idea that's actually really cool like the significance of the track and like the loop and stuff like i would have never thought of that no i don't think he thought of it until afterwards either (laughs) <laughs> cool though like it's it's, it's actually cool because there's actually like significance and thought behind it which is really cool all right so on the topic of rd we won't harp too much about rd but obviously he's played a huge part of your career and triple eight itself which is big talking points at the moment in the australian motorsport world now he's stepped aside how does that change things for you
2: um look so jamie has um jamie's taken on the managing director role and for me personally it just means that i'm I, I'm there to give Jamie the support that he needs to best do, to do that job to the best of his ability. At the moment, it's very much a year of kind of observation and continuation, so trying to keep stuff as much the same as possible because we've got a tried and tested method to run this business that's worked for almost um, almost 30 years on, on two sides of the world. So we're not going to come in and start messing with that or anything. But um, so this year is very much a year of observation, particularly for Jamie, who is long. You know he's been involved with the team since two thousand and six, with his first year. But this is the first time that he's been in the workshop every single day. Um, you don't do that as a driver. Um, so he's he's got an awful lot to learn. So um, this year is very much taking stock of it all in that continuation, and then next year will be the year of okay, well where do we make changes? How do we? how do we mold this business so that it more suits suits Jamie's style of leadership and um, but while continuing to get the best from uh, from the group of people that we have um, and then the year after that you know with looking now at year three of our current structure um, then we'll kind of see if it if it works or not, that second year is always a few teething issues while you're kind of finding your feet and working out what changes you want to make and implementing those changes. And then that year three is really where you kind of go, okay, right, knuckle down is how we're planning on doing this going to work. Is it, you've got to look at it as a three to four year process in any of those transition periods.
0: Yeah, awesome. It's a really exciting time for you guys at AAA and coming into the new season. And like with the Gen 3 development, I actually can't even comprehend how much must be going on. It's crazy busy, there's so much going on. Both Priya and I are heavily into the media and you recently in the last few years have obviously been a media manager and PR and all that sort of stuff, but now you've kind of stepped into more a television role or like fronting the media with, with the initiatives and the boards you're involved in and things like that. Talk to us a little bit about how media become on your radar and, and that sort of element.
2: It, so I didn't know what I wanted to do at uni. Um, and then I've always kind of been... Um, like, I wanted to be an actress. So I've always wanted to be... <laughs> like, I might have been a bit of an attention seeker when I was a kid. Um, so I've always been kind of putting myself out there. And then when I didn't want to go to uni, but my parents wanted me to go to uni, journalism seemed like a good compromise because... Um, wasn't very hard so (laughs) did um I mean it's really hard guys you don't need a degree to teach you how to write um but I learned lots of useful things um so it was definitely look it was it was definitely beneficial you can't regret learning there's what if you can never you can never regret the process of pushing yourself through a period of growth and the fact that I didn't want to be there for three years probably just made me stronger at the other end of it, um, yeah, came out with a journalism degree thinking that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster and then came in to do, yeah, ended up doing PR and um, media manager here. So when, when we first decided that I was going to come over, I wasn't actually going to work for Triple Eight. Um, and then there was a bit, of a bit of a restructure when Red Bull came on board as the naming rights partner in 2013 and long story short, I ended up. Working for Triple Eight rather than us subcontracting out to a company which I would have been working for, um, and I'm glad that it ended up that way because um, yeah, Triple Eight is my family, and it would have been felt it would have felt weird doing all of it removed from from this environment, um, and I wouldn't have had the opportunity to grow and do everything that I've done between then and now. Um, and then in 20, so I was media manager for, from 2013 till like halfway through 2015. Um, in 2015 I left Triple Eight and worked, um, as a production assistant for a TV production company, um, and post-production house, uh, which was a good learning experience. Uh, the biggest learning curve of, of all of that was, was learning about myself and knowing that I wanted to, motorsport was where I wanted to be, that was what kind of, that was what made me happiest. Um, so it was a good experience from that perspective, um, and then I kind of had just left media alone mainly because it became so concentrated on digital, and I don't like social media. Um, I think it's I think it's a really toxic place sometimes. It can be used for a lot of good, but um, seeing being involved in the digital side of it for the team every single day was exhausting because you get so much so much grief so many so many horrible people but though like for every horrible person there are thousands of fabulous people of wonderful people who are so lucky to have in our fan base but those people who say the awful stuff are the ones who stick with you sadly they're the, they're the ones who you know and you, and you can't help but take it personally um when you're the only person in the whole building who's reading all of this um so, yeah, it kind of, I, I moved away from it for those reasons. But then it was 20, 2020 when I got a call asking me if I would be interested in doing the ARG broadcasts. Um, and I was like, oh, golly, I haven't done that for a while. <laughs> I can't remember how to talk into a microphone, but yeah, why not, let's give it a crack. And from there, um, also got asked to do the Australian Rally Championship, which was, uh, I, I just love it. Like, I've absolutely fallen in love with rally. And I'm loving the opportunities that... Um, doing this side of media, of now being back in front of the camera, I'm loving the the opportunities to get involved in different forms of motorsport that that's giving me. Um, as much as I love supercars, I th- also think it's so important for my understanding of the sport to be across all these different categories, and to, um, it's beneficial for me, and it's beneficial for Triple Eight to see how how it works elsewhere and. Um, get to know more people and just mix in different circles. Supercars, as much as I love it, is not the be-all and end-all of motorsport. There are so many more important layers to our sport um, right from the top where we are through to the grassroots. And without grassroots, there would be no sport at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I love those opportunities. And I just love racing. Like, I'd be happy watching... I mean, I I spent most of the last two years watching Hyundai Excels going around in circles. (laughs) and I just like, I I love it. So, um, yeah, the opportunities to get involved in that have been awesome.
1: Do you see yourself always being in motorsport or do you think maybe you might remain a bit restless and kind of looking out for other opportunities? Like, do you think there's something else that you might want to pursue down the track?
2: Look, I'm a very fickle person (laughs) Um, and I always have been. Um, I'm always looking for that. The next thing that that kind of, I don't know, I'm very easily distracted. But also, if I set my mind to something, then I'll bloody do it, like a law degree. Um, I find that as soon as I start feeling a bit stale, as soon as I feel like I'm not challenging myself, that's when I start getting itchy feet and feeling like I need to find something new. And I'm so lucky and I have absolutely loved all the challenges that the last few years have thrown at me in terms of balancing a law degree with um, the various commissions and boards and and committees that I'm sitting on um, and charities that I'm working with um, and the broadcasting stuff now as well. Like it's just been the more balls I can have in the air, the happier I am. So it's not necessarily a case of kind of um, replacing one one with another it's probably just me keep adding balls into the (laughs) into the ever you know everlasting juggling cycle that I seem to have going on um so yeah I've, I've the more I can do the better like one of my life mottos is that you can always do more and the limit is so much further than you think so um yeah just keep keep adding the challenges and that will keep me happy throughout my whole life probably it's just um and I'm luckily I'm very good at time manage I'm very good at managing my own time which is very fortunate I'm not one of those people who leaves an assignment to the night before or even the night of um so I can always look ahead at my own schedule and say right I know that this day I'm going to be doing rally and this day I'm going to be I need to dedicate two days to writing an assignment and that day I have to be at triple eight because we've got a board meeting, which means I need to spend the evening before reviewing all the papers and like I can segment my time very well. um, and I'm disciplined with it. So I think that's definitely a beneficial trait to have when trying to juggle as many balls as I do.
1: For sure. Well, obviously I was going to bring this up, but not a whole lot of people know that you were quite a talented horse
2: rider um <laughs> do you still do that do you still ride <laughs> is it something no, that don't. you still want to do or oh I love it and so many people say oh why well, didn't have a horse here and I'm like because I travel literally like every single week and it's just getting busier and busier like I um one of my good friends is when I do ride um she's she's had a horse over the years um her last horse was a little x race horse who I loved I love going and riding I he was just my cup of tea he was gorgeous but but way too much horse for her. He was very young, very green, and she's very novice. Um, so I did ride for a bit here when she had when she had her horse, um, and she's looking at getting another one. So when she does, then I'll probably start riding again. Just you know, because it's there, it's the opportunity. But um, I was looking with the same friend at when we can book our like annual weekend, like girls' weekend away. The other day, <laughs> we're scrolling through my calendar, and I said, "Oh, I've got one weekend free in May." Um, and this, you know, this was like I think we're doing this on like fourteenth of January, and I said I've got one weekend free in May. Oh no, we can't do that because it's Mother's Day, and one of the girls has kids. So we're scrolling through, and I was like, August. <laughs> Literally, it was January, and all the way through from like at that point, the twelve hour hadn't been moved yet. But anyway, that's relevant because we're going testing that weekend anyway. But from that last weekend of Feb through to August, like I did not that I had one spare weekend. So, um, yeah, so the grand scheme of that story is that um, I would spend more money paying for someone else to look after my horse than time I would get to spend with it. Um, But I've still got my old fella in the UK. My sister does my sister's whole business is is horses um, and training and judging and all that kind of stuff. So. My old boy who I've had since I was got 16, I think. He's now, he turns 23 this year. Um, so he's out in a field over there still, you know, he's, he's like the equestrian equivalent of me, a little bit bit weird, but quite bossy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's out there ruling the roost. Yeah, no,
1: definitely an animal that needs your constant attention um but
2: one They're thing not I like a I, race car
0: you can't just park no, it and get it. you can't just it. put no, it also, in the there's so much
2: more they they can break themselves a race car it can only break if you're doing something with it a horse you put it out in the field and it will be like oh, i'm just gonna go snap a leg guys
1: i think one of my earliest kind of memories of you and i can't remember like how it came up but dad had a video and i don't know if you'd sent it to him or it was just like through some group chat thing but it was you it was you were on your your ginger ninja what's his name the chestnut (laughs) you were going into a combination and you had a he stopped and you had a bit of a stack and I think yeah that was so I I thought that that was funny that was like one of my earliest memories of you you also mentioned a little while back that you had an offer to work within the equestrian media how did that kind of come
0: about
2: um yeah so it was either stay when I was kind of finishing uni when I had that time of going I want to move to Australia. At the time, it was stay in the UK and do horses or move to Australia and do motorsport. Um, and as much as I love horses, it can be a little bit dead end, particularly because, um, it, like, the job offer that I had was... I had a couple, actually. Um, the job offer that I had was at Horse and Hound magazine. And, yes, for anyone who's not in yeah. horses, that actually exists. Like, you've heard of it on Notting Hill... And you want think it's a joke, but it actually exists. It's like the Bible of equestrian media in the world. Um, no matter where you are in the world, you
0: chances are you subscribe to Horse and Hound magazine. I'm actually a bit blown away that it's a real thing. <laughs> when Hugh Grant said it in Notting Hill, I was like, surely not. Because he's in that space movie. And
2: like, Horse and Hound magazine does exist. It is the, you know, it's the auto, it's the equivalent of auto sport, basically. Like everyone in, everyone in motorsport knows what autosport is it's the it's the pinnacle of motoring of motorsport journalism and, and horse and hound is the same um, and I did some work experience for them while I was at university and um, yeah off the back of that they offered me they wanted me to come back and they were basically like you know we'll we'll create a role for you even if there is no even if we don't have a job at the time that you graduate we'll create something for you and we just we want you to be there at the same time I was also working for a specialist equestrian TV channel that since branched out and it got bought and it's actually become really big. Um, I can't remember who owns it, but yeah, it's, it's come up a lot in size and they wanted um, they wanted me to be part of that team full time rather than just contracting um, and work with them on expanding it and expanding the programming and all of that. So that would have been exciting, but it's not got the same possibilities to it as motorsport yeah. does and also it would have meant staying in the uk and i have absolutely no regret in the world about living in australia it's the best place
0: so as a part of our research for this podcast one of my favorite podcasts happens to be the gypsy tales podcast <laughs> oh my god you didn't listen to the whole thing did you i talked forever i listened to all three hours of that chat with you and jace and i did enjoy it you Poor girl, did enjoy it. I mean, I just love the Gypsy Tales pod- podcast and the concept itself. So, when you were on there, I was like, well, this is two birds one stone. So, you actually said on the Gypsy Tales podcast and we're all about just encouraging women and that's a big philosophy of yours. So, you said that the sport would be a better place if we had more women involved, which we both agree is is the truth. How do you think we go about this? Like, I've just noticed in the last few years, we're taking big steps forward, like just to see, like, more fans about, like, more female fans, and and more, like, I get messages from people saying, like, how do I do what you do? Even like Priya was the first one who was like, look, I want to, I want to do what you do. How do I do that? And uh, here we are running a podcast together. But like, is it through things like Girls on Track or what used to be Dare to Be Different? Is that is that the way? Like, is there other things we could be doing?
2: I think we need to look at it as a pyramid and in order to grow the ultimate goal is to have 50 50 representation in everything in every department from teams to um, drivers on the grid and in order to do that we need to grow the base right now there isn't 50 50 representation anywhere in motorsport because we purely don't have enough people at the bottom um to to be growing the growing the pyramid as it you know as it comes up um so we need to be it's about showing people that there are real job opportunities for women it's not a pipe dream um it's about educating people in general about the various different aspects of motorsport because it's not just it's not just about the drivers that you see on the grid or the pit crew that you see during a pit stop there are so anybody who's been behind the scenes in motorsport knows the sheer the vast array of possibilities that there are to be involved in motorsport um so it's really about exposing that that there is that opportunity and showing these families who and i I love it when at a fia girls on track event we get girls there whose families have grown up watching motorsport and these girls have been going to the track since they were you know since they were little toddlers and stuff and just watching as fans and then Girls on Track shows them that actually you can come here and you can do this. And it's not just something that you sit on the sidelines and watch. Um, it's something you can actually be involved in. It's something that you love and that has been a passion and a hobby of yours for such a long time. But you can make it a reality. Um, and seeing those girls' faces light up when you get to show them show them inside a car or um, show them how they can if they do this that and the other at school and at university then you might be able to be an engineer one day or if you do this then you can be a mechanic um yeah it's it's just exposing the opportunities that are in the industry i think um and also largely changing a mindset from a from a driving perspective unfortunately there's still this massive mindset that it might not be a realistic career option for girls if you hit a hard spot with your teenage boy then generally parents will be like we'll stick to it like you've you've got to do it um because you know this that and the other whereas with girls they're far more likely to be like "Mm, yeah but no never mind it's not realistic for you anyway so if we were to kind of if there was this mentality shift of going you know stick with it because it is a genuine possibility for you Then we might see more girls filter through that really tricky gap in around those teenage years, where naturally there's more drop off from all hobbies anyway, particularly amongst girls in those teenage years. But motorsport is is particularly prevalent for that, Um, and it's also just getting people. Like I think we could have so many more people involved in the sport through like officiating and being involved through as as a Motorsport Australia official.
0: That's how I started. I started as a pit
2: lane official at 15. Yeah, yeah. So many amazing opportunities to get... I think that that's a story that we tell enough. We need to be recruiting far more people into that um, into that space. And I love working with Motorsport Australia on how we can do that. Um, but, yeah, it's, just, it's getting, more, getting more people exposed to the opportunities in a nutshell.
0: Just the awareness. The awareness that girls do this and that they can do this.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I'm not a fan of making things gimmicky i'm not a fan of being like oh we're going to have a specific um we're going to have a specific segment in our broadcast this weekend celebrating all females in pit lane it needs to be so much more people don't like being sold to and that is selling while it's raising awareness it needs to be more organic it needs to be genuinely just i don't know the the, the People holding the cameras in pit lane need to have in the back of their mind, if there's an opportunity to show a female team member in an environment, let's show her in a natural working environment. Not, oh, we'll zoom in on her because she's a female. Um, it's just there's, you know, there's, there are females here. There are females as well as males. Let's just show it in an organic way.
1: So Jess, you almost did your own bit of racing last year in the Excel. What happened there?
2: <laughs> well, no, no, that did not come to fruition. I got, I was given an Excel for my 30th birthday by my father, but it was what we call a farm animal present in my family. What a present I you know. got given an
1: Excel. Fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, kind of. The intention, well, he yeah, he, he gave me this Excel basically because he wanted it for himself.
0: One of those self Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, totally self serving Yeah. So, um, no, never got to, uh, never got to race it myself, but to be honest, like circuit racing for me to drive in personally has never really appealed to me anyway, because I hate the idea that I could ruin someone's day. I could ruin someone's weekend. Like everyone's out there to have a good time and I don't want to ruin anyone else's fun by being terrible. Um, so it's, yeah, that's never really appealed to me anyway, but rallying, ah, I, yeah, I drove Molly Taylor's rally car, um, as a ride car but basically rally car um at Gimpy last year oh that was so much fun That was awesome. <laughs> yeah that's like and that because you're on your own like you're not you're not getting in anyone else's well. or if you are getting someone's way then it's gone really wrong um <laughs> but uh yeah that was so much fun I, I I I give almost anything a crack um but mainly if it doesn't you know affect anyone else I love like getting on a dirt bike and going around you know at my own speed you know getting, getting faster but i just the only thing that gets me on a dirt bike is getting in someone else's way um that's the only that's the only thing that ever gives me any fear whereas everything else have no fear as you can tell by the
0: a ray of scars on me usually on a dirt bike though you're only usually hurt yourself which like if something goes wrong, it's usually you on the ground, broken bones, all that sort of stuff. How did you get into dirt bikes?
2: Mainly because a few guys here ride them. Like, um, yeah, I hadn't really ridden, had ridden a little bit at, at school when I was very young, because we had, my school, for some random reason, had like a quad bike track. So, so Okay,
0: look, I'm hang on, I'll stop you there. I'm so jealous because I grew <laughs> up in, and I just grew up in all I wanted. I was like, why are you going to make me kick a soccer ball? Just buy me a motorbike and let me do mot- <laughs> motocross, school sport they were not not we
2: we did that we would have like random quad biking and um oh my god that was my dream weekends at school but I had because we grew up on um BRB um, just moving to the UK sorry just moving to the
0: UK
2: (laughs) yeah I grew up with we had dirt bikes because we had um we we lived on like a a farm hobby farm um when I was a kid so grew up um riding quad bikes around around our property and then, yeah, jumped on bikes a little bit when we were at school. Um, but then not again until here, um, and a few of the boys ride here. So I'd go out with them, and I was like, look, I've I, I got my road licence in, like, 2014 or 2015. Um, and I was like, well, so I can properly ride a motorbike right now, so why not try a dirt bike? Um, so I've always ridden the boys' bikes. I've never owned my own dirt bike, but I've always ridden the boys' bikes. But then over summer, when... Um, uh, scotty pie and shannon keely came up and shannon might be somebody you guys are talking to hopefully because she's a legend she's got an awesome motorsport story as well i um, again grew up in it and everything but she can tell you that um but they brought their bikes up and that that was my first time riding a specifically lowered bike and i was like this is a game changer like i'm so Uh, yes yeah who's like that how have I never ridden a bike before that's actually the right height for me (laughs) and I always just because I'm I'm that person who's like well screw it if I'm going to do something I might as well do it the hardest way possible so that then I get good at it being hard and then it will just get easier like with skateboarding I've just decided to take up skateboarding because you know what what else do you do in your 30s um so instead of buying like a longboard or something easy I was like I'll go in for a narrow wheel cruiser (laughs) <laughs> and my friend was like dude you're gonna eat shit <laughs> That's, you should not have bought that but I was like well if I go in straight with the with the hardest one then I'll be I'll be good when I need to <laughs> you know I'll get good faster and yeah to be honest it worked with that so with dirt bikes um yeah it kind of was you know ended up in a few more injuries than that skateboarding has but um yeah riding a lowered bike oh my god what a difference and now I'm like oh maybe I should Maybe I should buy, because Shane Shane was talking about selling his KTM, and I was like, maybe I should buy Shane's and have it lowered. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't have a garage, and I don't have a trailer, and I don't have a car to tow my non-existent trailer. So maybe I need to, you know, start with that. So you can get seats
0: that are carved out a little. So, like, the normal seat would go across like this, and for, like, short asses like myself, you can get seats that come in, and they take a couple of inches out of the seat. So you can actually touch the ground, which is always nice. <laughs> when you do it properly as a sport, and you just want to go quicker all the time, you just want to like be on the fastest bike possible, even if your legs don't haven't quite caught up to how fast you want to go. So trying to get on a 250 at 13 when I'm literally like 4 foot. Yeah, but that I mean, that's the same mentality as me, to like, just do it the hard way and then it will get easier. Well, my parents plopped me on one at three and a half, so I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> You're gonna do this. Okay, mum and dad, let's do this. <laughs> I did a similar thing the first time
2: I got my quad bike, actually my my memory of very first riding my quad bike was um literally just thrott nobody told me to like ease the throttle and i think i must have been like i i reckon i was four years old just full like thumb flat down on the throttle straight into a wall like it was a low wall so i went over the top of it thankfully not into it but um... once you
0: go in a wall once you don't go in a wall twice yeah i did learn <laughs> <That's> so good
1: <laughs> I think Tanael would talk about this for hours if we let her. So what would you say
2: your favourite memory of working in motorsport is? It's a balance between those wins where it's outwardly the most amazing experience and everyone can see that, like the 2017 championship win um, in Newcastle where you just couldn't couldn't have scripted it Um and you could appreciate that whether you followed supercars or followed motorsport or not, you didn't have to be any form of motorsport fan to know that that was one of the most incredible stories in sport that has happened in in living memory. Yeah. From the other perspective, some of the high, some of the best memories are from when we've been been at our lowest and have dug deep and have bounced back and have put in the hard yards to climb back to the top, and that's when those victories taste the sweetest to be honest you know as, as awesome as being dominant is um sometimes it's it's even better when you've come from come from pee nowhere or come from where you've a, a period of struggle to get back to the top
0: all right Jess. so final question for your appearance hopefully mm-hmm. not the last appearance but your first appearance on the girls on the grid podcast we're going to try and ask everyone this as we wrap it up but a little cliche Forgive us. But what is your advice for women who want to get into motorsport? You've probably been asked this a million times, but just <laughs>
2: reiterate. Give it give it to us. Well, you would think that I'd have, like, a good answer ready to roll off the tip of my tongue. But um, I think it's this isn't motorsport specific, but if I could go back and tell myself something when I was a teenager, it's be curious. Ask why. Ask how ask how things work, ask why, why are things the way they are? Why am I sitting back and accepting that that's, that's what it is? Whether that's as simple as we do this process a certain way, because that's, you know, that's what we've always done. But why, why have you always done it like that? Through to why am I being made to feel this way in this environment? Um, What can I do about it? Like there's always be challenging challenging everything around you and challenging yourself um, and always asking questions um and that in turn will open doors and lead you to places and opportunities from a motorsport perspective you might be sitting on the outside going um but why why can't i do what i want to do and you might might start asking questions and then that will open door after door if you want to talk to somebody find a way to talk to them like I'm always the first person to I I get people contacting like motorsport australia or info at triple eight dot com dot au and I will always get back to that person I'm I'm always happy to help anyone who wants help um, and anybody who's not afraid to ask for it and yeah I might not be able to hold your hand through every step of the way or anything like that but if I can offer somebody a little bit of advice or assistance then I'm always too happy to do so because um, yeah if you don't if you don't ask you don't often get um, and the people who are happy to put themselves out there and put themselves ch- chase down what they want um, are generally the people who will end up doing well in life um, and, and doing what they want and yeah I guess just putting, I don't want to say putting yourself out there it's just it's challenging the norms um, challenging your own way of thinking as often as you can.
1: Well, Jess, thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of Girls on the Grid. We can't wait to see what this year has in store for you and we're looking forward to hopefully chatting with you again at some stage.
2: Thank you, guys. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and, um, yeah, really excited about this podcast and I can't wait to listen to all the future episodes. So bloody well done getting it started. That's always the hardest thing is to take the, take the first step to get something started And, uh, yeah, hopefully big things ahead. Thanks for your time today, Jess. Thank
0: you, guys. Okay, Priya, so we just had our first guest on the Girls on the Grid podcast. And what an awesome chat it was. Like, Jess is so inspiring. And the fact that she can do so much, I'm just like, Tanea, why aren't you doing more? If Jess Dane's doing it, you can do it too. So it's like, it's actually cool to just speak to someone like that and just to hear her passion and her just absolute love for motorsport it's actually really cool because I like we both feel the exact same way about it and we just love being in the track and it's just it's honestly just a lifestyle so that was a really really enjoyable chat for us
1: very inspiring chick Jess Dane she's done a lot for the sport um, especially for us girls my family was very much involved with Triple Eight in recent years my dad actually raced uh, for Triple Eight from 2014 to 2018 um, and for me, being a, a teenager and figuring out kind of where I was wanting to go, I, I saw Jess a lot and it was really, really awesome to see a girl in that kind of role and taking on especially like that kind of line of work. It was really like it was very motivating for me, I found. So, yeah, it was awesome to actually sit down and just have a, have a chat to her. I think Jess brings a lot of good things to this sport. And um yeah, I can't wait to see what she does next. She's always got something <laughs> something happening. So yeah, she's awesome.
0: Okay, Priya, so to wrap up our first episode. I don't think I've said that it's our first episode enough. I'm just so excited that it is our first episode of this podcast. So to wrap it up, this week in your world, what's going on?
1: So this week for me, assuming I test negative because I'm currently actually isolating due to COVID. Uh, Well, my mum had COVID and unfortunately that kind of mucked us up for the week. Um, But hopefully by the end of the week, I can get down to Winton on Friday. There's a Formula Ford test on. So probably chase around some Formula Ford cars and film the shit out of them, as I usually do. And what about you, Tanea? What's on the agenda this week?
0: This week's actually a super duper busy one for me. Uh, Monday, Tuesday is just working in the office, uh, getting some edits done from a couple of weeks ago. And then Wednesday, Wednesday we jump on a plane and head to a racetrack and that excites me. So we are heading down to Simmons Plains for the first round of the ARG Championship Series for 2022. And it'll be Simmons Plains, there's a test day on Thursday afternoon, cars at the track for practice on Friday, Saturday, Sunday racing and then home Sunday night. So it's going to be a busy week. We have quite a few clients to create some content for. And honestly, I'm just excited to get back to a track. Uh, I was pretty burnt out at the end of last year after the four Sydneys and then Bathurst and then straight into Christmas. It was, it was a big time. But having had a bit of a break and a reset, I'm actually itching to get back to the track and get to do what I love again. So that's really exciting.
1: So jealous,
0: so jealous
1: about not going to Simmons. But it's okay. You'll be watching on Stan Sport, won't you? Of course, Stan Sport. That's it.
0: All right, listeners, thanks for lending us your ears for episode one. We hope you enjoyed a really insightful and hopefully entertaining chat with Justine. We just really are appreciative of you for being here and for listening. And honestly, Priya and I are just so stoked that this is even a thing and that we even have the opportunity to be able to blubber on and talk to some people who inspire us. It's a really exciting time for us. It's a really exciting time for this podcast and whatever it can become. I know that we both have big aspirations of what this could become and just really excited for the next few episodes and to lock in some guests that we can chat to so
1: yeah exciting times the support so far has been amazing and we're really looking forward to talking with some more awesome women in this sport and we hope we can inspire the upcoming generations and we'll talk to you all soon thanks guys you've just listened to another network R production